This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer and publicist Chris DiGirolamo. As the founder of Two for the Show, Chris's reputation as a leader in public relations is reflected in the many musicians he's worked with over the decades. This includes drummers like Daphnis Prieto, Jamie Wallum, Cindy Blackman-Santana, Simon Phillips, Jeff Fab, George Coleman Jr., J.R. Robinson, Bobby Sanabria, Peter Erskine, Manu Kache, Steve Gadd, and many others. Not only has Chris earned the trust of these amazing artists, as a drummer himself, Chris provides a unique perspective that has been essential in the success of Two for the Show. Two for the Show has 28 Grammy nominations and two Grammy wins to its credit. If you want to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon page at patreon.com slash working drummer. For as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to all our educational content. In recent weeks, we've been adding quite a bit of content. That includes a video from former guests like Bruce Becker. He did a video just for us. We also have a video from former guest Brian Zach, where he goes into how to improve your ride swing patterns. And recent guest Mike Malone has five transcriptions of some amazing drummers and classic performances that he has made accessible to our Patreon members. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find that link on our website at workingdrummer.net. So I'm very excited to speak with Chris. Uh, His support of this podcast has been essential in its growth. At its core, Working Drummer Podcast, as you know, is shedding light on the lesser-known drummers that are making a living, kind of in the trenches, working drummers that a lot of us have never heard of but uh, have just important things to say and share with all of us. Every once in a while, we get a Peter Erskine, a uh, J.R. Robinson, and Chris has been just wonderful at connecting us with these players that attracts new listeners to our program. So I'm just real excited to uh, speak with him and I value his friendship and this connection that we have with Chris. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris Girolamo. When I started doing this, and I remember, uh, and that's a story, I started this business with, I'm not kidding you, uh, I was out of work, 37 cents in the bank, um, and uh, really not in a good space. And somebody, I was writing, um, I was doing freelancing for Modern Drummer, you know, here and there and different other things. I had a drum column with a music magazine out here on Long Island. And so what happened was, literally, I was, um, you know, sitting there. Uh, you know, wondering where my next dime was going to come from and and looking for work. You know what I mean? I had taught. It was just a terrible time. I remember for like employment and all that stuff. Um, and the phone rang and some guy called me up out of nowhere and he goes, is this Chris? And I said, yeah. And first thing I'm thinking is that they looking for money. Or something, you know what I mean? Cause if you don't know at that point, everybody was. Yeah. And um, he said to me, uh, you came recommended to me. And I said, for, like I thought writing something for him, you know, is what I thought that was what he was going to say. And he said, as a, um, you came recommended to me as a publicist. And he said, um, I have a new record. He's talking and I'm going like, I'm listening. And then he said, uh, you do that work. Right. And I just stopped there and I went, 
Yeah. And it's 17 years later. And the first thing I did, this is a true story. First thing I did when I left that phone call was I got in my car and I drove to Barnes and Noble and I bought uh, publicity for dummies. Right. That's, that's, that's how I learned. And I had a good colleague of mine who we're really good friends with, who does the same thing. And he helped me out. He didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? He really helped me. And I remember going, I remember saying this, like, be honest, do what you say you're going to do and work hard <laughs> and let them know. And and that's maybe the fourth thing, be communicate. One of the biggest things I hear, which is insane. And I know we all get overwhelmed and emails can fly to the end of the day or something like that. But I can't tell you how many people call me and they say, um, or I'll say to them, um, I know you worked with other people and I'm not trying to you know, say anything negatively about that. What I'd like to know is if you came to me, was there something that was missing there? Yeah. So, so we make sure it doesn't happen again. Like, you know, it's not, and that's just the other publicist style. It has nothing to do with, you know, so you just ask. And, um, and the, the biggest thing is I can't get them. Once they start the campaign, I can't get in touch with them. Mm. And, and you say to yourself, how do you do that? man? Because really, I tell you, man, I say this all the time. People laugh at me like you're being a little, t- no, I'm not, man. Like when I say somebody agrees to, to work, I always say, thank you for trusting me with your baby. And they kind of chuckle. But the reality is, man, from blank staff paper to $30,000 later in investment, this isn't your baby and you're giving it to me to work. You know, so it's it's a lot of trust, man. But I can't tell you. I I called five publicists. Not one of them returned my calls. And da, 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 you know, no. Yeah, I'm here. OK, cool. We just got yeah. for a second. All right. And um, and what I call that, unfortunately, is good news. <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? I don't mean that against anybody's work. They all work. We all work a different style. I always say this. I say every publicist is like a football coach in the NFL. We all want the Super Bowl for the team, but we all have a different way of doing it. And people do get rehired based on their styles and, you know, things like that. So it's um, it's a trip. But really, man, the reputation thing. And actually, what I was going to say earlier, what people had mentioned and asked me about was um testimonial videos or testimonials on your site. You know, as I said, I could be replaced tomorrow. This has nothing to do with an ego where I go, Cindy Blackman said that, I'm, you know, nobody cares. The reality is my point of that is if Cindy Blackman can say, I trust that guy yeah. with everything. Okay. If you don't want to come here, that's cool. It might not be a match, but you can't say you're not going to have, you can't say you're going to have a problem with trusting me. Yeah. You know, and that's such a huge thing in the business, man, because Oh, I'll write a book. Actually, I am writing a book. <laughs> so I am. Are you? Uh, wow. uh, yeah. Um, too many stories over too many years and uh, all a blessing. You know what I mean? I've been in the it's all been music since I'm 18, you know, um, teaching. Uh, first gig was in a recording studio um, at Systems 2, which became the biggest jazz studio in uh, in New York. So I got to work with a lot of the people that I work for now. You know, so you know them and it's some, um, it is, but the biggest thing, man, is, you, you know, and it look, it's real for me. I don't have to say, I don't act, you know what I mean? But it's, um, it really is that personality connection. When I speak to somebody and I've, I don't think about it, but a lot of times having these meetings now pro uh, post COVID are so beneficial because people get to see you, they get to get the vibe, you know, there's like blood on the wall in the back of me. They're probably not going to, you know, um, they really get to see that. And I think, 
that has really been a benefit for me because that's how I, re, you know, I work with people. So when they see this, as opposed to hearing a phone, it's just, it makes all the difference. Well, there's been so many times when I get ready to interview somebody. I'm going to, I'm going to pat myself on the back here that, that I don't, don't do very often. But when I have an interview lined up, maybe somebody just, they don't know who we are. They, they we talk them into being a guest on the show or somebody recommended or you introduced us, you know, and they're maybe a little apprehensive. It's my job within the first five minutes to make them feel comfortable, to make them feel like, hey, you're in good hands. This is going to be good. This is going to be beneficial for you. And just like put off these vibes that are like, oh, this is good. And it's, it, I, I've gotten to the point, of course, after doing this for over eight years, many years. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I know you're apprehensive to be here and I should be intimidated because you're a super famous drummer, badass. Yeah. Guess what? I'm going to get you to open up. This is going to be this going to be a fun challenge for me to get you to feel comfortable. You know, yeah. like a rabid dog. Like here we go. <laughs> we're gonna. We're, you're gonna trust me. By the end of the day, you're gonna be eating out of the palm of my hands. And and I think it's just making people just. I have to do that anyway because you you're key to a lot of things there. So no. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I I want to talk about what a publicist d does, but before I do that, how do you stay organized? How do you stay on top of the emails and the phone calls and the things like that? Is there any type of hack? that you have that no matter what our listeners do for a living can say, Ooh, cool. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I can use that strategy in my day to day. I'll tell you the biggest thing that's changed because really I, I will say this, I, I may be a gift. I don't know. I never have a problem handling any of it. Like, I mean, it can be insane. And I, I I'm just, I've, I'm used to it. So it's like, I've, I've worked, I've learned. It's like, it's like playing against a really good basketball player and he, he, he does he in every time. And then eventually you got the moves to figure out how everything goes. Um, it's really not, I had an email the other day and we've been really busy and, and everything is timed out. So there's no conflicts of servicing, you know, so, so everybody gets a fair chance, but um, the biggest thing that I have seen that has taken what we do and changed it completely is when we were doing this pre COVID um, the biggest part of it was 300 CDs um, you know, all of that press releases, the mailing, the packing, all that stuff. One year, uh, Matt, I did $60,000 in postage. Oh my God. So what we did and it's um, it, it started really out of the concern of safety and then it stuck is I said, we, we can't send things that we don't know what's going on, man. Like, you know, I'm going to get a whole community like sick or something, you know, you just didn't know. So I went digital. I told the media, look, we've got to go digital just for a few weeks to safety and all that stuff. After two weeks of doing it and putting an engagement system together uh, via email, that's not, did they open it? Did they not? This is what did they do? How much did they listen? Uh, you know, did they download it? Did they stream everything? What kind of device? I mean, we have all that information. Right. Right. So let's say we sent out Matt's record at nine o'clock this morning. Okay. Five o'clock today, I could call you and I could go, Matt, these are the, the writers that previewed your material today. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy from Downbeat, the guy from the time, you know, and you really, all of a sudden, you know, what's happening, which again, creates that trust because you're telling them everything, you know? Um, 
the reality of that is insane because you can go back to these writers in 24 hours. That process with the hard copy and the mailing and the $2,000 in costs before you get here, postage, 1500 bucks, Matt, like it goes in the garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, what we did was we put this in, a uh, standard number of people that were going out was 300 CDs, okay? Now, because it's digital and we have access to everything and it's free for everyone, we service the material to over 2,800 media people worldwide. Imagine if we could do that. You know, and the other thing is this, and no musician will tell you different has been through it. The information I just shared with you that we get that quick, six weeks would take. You wouldn't hear a word like that. You would not know, did they listen? Did they not? They didn't answer the email, you know. So we are in real time, um, the entire campaign. Yeah. And they get stuff. We have a text box for everybody up on our screen where everybody gets the information. Hey, a guy from NPR just checked it. You know, where they, you feel there's movement, even if nobody covers it, man. You know, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but if you get nothing, you know, all these people checked out your music. We never knew that. Well, and, and I you can imagine like six weeks later, you're trying to remember, okay, I've had, I've had 16 artists to deal with. Like, where are we at with this? And you have to recalibrate your brain with what's going on and. Yeah, but I will tell you this, like, it's a good point we just said, there's never an overabundance of clients that are being worked here. There's an, the reason there's so many names and so the list is long and all that stuff is because I stay with people for like six months, seven months without invoice past the third. So it's not free work, but it's basically, if you don't maintain that stuff, and it doesn't mean eight hours a day, if you don't maintain that stuff, you're going to lose out on a lot of things, man. I mean, wouldn't there be a chance for me to say to you, um, I have drummer A, and you say, nah, man, it's, it's not really, it's not really what we're looking for. Okay, Matt. And then I, you know, you contact me in four and a half months about something. And I go, hey, remember that drummer A? No, no change. And you go, actually, we're doing, that's perfect for what we're, and it happens. Yeah. Now, if I didn't do that, never happens. Yeah. So I just, you know, I stay with everybody for a while, but the, the reality of people being pitched, it's never really more than four or five people, the five the most, and they all have to be different instrumentation. So there's no conflict. In other words, I'm not going to promote five drummers at once. I see. We can calendar it out and everybody has their own time. That's most important. But then, like I said, I share everything with everybody. So everybody thinks like, how does he do this? Somebody called me once with a list off my website and they go, you work with all those people? And it was like 500 names. And I was like, come on, man. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even know where my car is. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, yeah, I just, it's just been a really a gift. I don't know, man, but I've always had, someone told me, I'm not a big astrology guy, but someone said to me, you're a Gemini. And I went, what the hell does that have to do? They said, that's like, a quality. Okay. Like you, you can really focus. So, um, yeah, I just keep it in order, man. And and you know what it is? I'll tell you something. You know what drives me on these things? I don't want to hear anybody mad. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get the me email, the phone call. I want to be ahead of everybody with that info so they know. And they, sh they can be disappointed in someone's response, but they're not going to be disappointed in how we communicate. Right, right, right. They knew what 
happening the whole time. No, I'm with you. I'm, I, I, I totally feel where you're coming from. I, I'm the same way. Well, I want to give people just a little bit of context. I don't remember how long ago that we connected, uh, maybe five years ago or something like that. Maybe, maybe uh, Peter Erskine had something coming out yeah. or, or something. Um, but man, you, you've been such a great resource for us uh, here at the podcast. Uh, people that you've connected us with, former guests like uh, Daphnis Prieto, uh, Jamie Wallum, Cindy Blackman, Simon Phillips, Jeff Fab, uh, George Coleman Jr., uh, more recently, wow. <laughs> J.R. Robinson. Holy shit. That was, that was really He's great. a trip, man. I'm going to see him tomorrow night. He's in, uh, he's at Birdland. Well, if, if you think about it, tell him I said hello. It was such an honor to, to chat with him. We love after a lot, man. I mean, oh, he's a, he's a sweet. Yeah, man. and then you—that's when you see that everybody puts their pants on the same way. Yeah, yeah. When we were younger drummers, man, these people were like they lived in a box after they got out of the show. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? They were uh, uh, legends. So, so here's here's like two like complete ops. So we're we're talking about J.R. Robinson, you know, like that everybody knows. And then you're introducing me to somebody like Bobby Bobby Sanabria, who's like not on my radar, but I feel like. It's so important for listeners to like hear what this person is doing, how they're making a living within their community, within this genre of music that they may not have considered. And hopefully it's an inspiration to be like, man, if Bobby's doing that in the Bronx with this kind of Latin jazz, I can do it. And the way he's kind of juggling so many different things. And that was that was something I would not have considered. But then to have that connection through you was great. Um, so we, we appreciate that. And, uh, and, and what a joy to, to have you on it. And when I, uh, talked to Zach, uh, about, uh, speaking with you, uh, he was like, Oh, cool. I was thinking about doing that as well. I was thinking about reaching out to him. So, you know, you were on our radar in the, in the reverse for sure. In a, in a good way. Or you were like looking to have somebody come to my house <laughs> no. <That's right. laughs> with a piece of wood. No. Um, um, well, tell me what, what, what does a publicist do? Um, basically, I mean, it, it, it always sounds the work and the complicated, I don't want to say complicated. What did you learn in that book, Publicists for Dummies? <laughs> Oh, I honestly, I mean, it was a base. I really, I really was thrown onto the field and listen, I have to tell you something, man. I learned something here every single day. And I may not even kind of realize it, but that's how it is. But the basis of the, of the PR, and I'll give you the, let's go the old route with the CDs. um, And because it's only 300, but basically what we would do is first of all, the one thing is when someone comes here um, and obviously we've been, I can't mean being a drummer, and going to Berkeley and, and listening to all these people and playing my whole life and then working with these people. It, and and by the way, just came. Like I never really, I emailed Peter Erskine when I started. Yeah. And that was the beginning of a 12 year, you know, and then everybody just started coming, man. So it was great. But the, but the idea of what we're doing is so simple in, in that um, it's basically you, you want to write that press release that gives some sort of, base of story or interest in a lot of cases there are people that are new have great music and their story is not there yet you know what i mean it's just about the music um the but the idea of it is basically servicing the media um in our case right now like i said it's over 2800 but in the in the past where you had a 300 list you could they have it you know it they've received it it's been three weeks (laughs) um and then you'd go back and you basically 
pitch each based on what they do. Like a lot of people will say to me, oh, do you, do you use the same pitch for everybody? And I say, you can't. Everybody's one's a drum magazine, one's a, a jazz. You know what I mean? You, everybody has to be coordinated. There's a base story. But overall, it really is just trying to go out and get the coverage in any way that you can. Um, and I have to say, in a good way, the writers are so overwhelmed now that they don't really waste their time on trashing things. Like they take it, that means they'll they'll go with it. If okay. if they don't, you know, that's kind of it. But it's really just staying on the writers and trying to find every possible outlet that you can work. I just did a record with um, a saxophonist who is living in the Ukraine in the middle of the war. And um, he moved there two months before the war started because he fell in love with a girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and a beautiful story. She's a wonderful, you know what I mean? But he gets there and the war breaks out. So now he's living there. He lives on the 25th floor of a, a building. There's no elevator. He's got like all this stuff, you know? Yeah. And doing music and still sticking it out. And he doesn't want to leave. And, and this girl must now be like, amazing. she's got, she must cook a mean pasta. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what I'm saying is the euphemism. Um, there's, there's a story, you know, like how the, you know, so NPR jumped on that story. Yeah. You know, NPR is not going to the drum magazine, you know, anything, even like a jazz magazine. They may take it. Well, they didn't. I can't tell you how many people didn't take it. You know, that's a story. And it's like, I'm giving you the guy who's like a, playing jazz in the war. <laughs> and it's like, eh, it's not really what we're looking for. <laughs> you know, so but the idea of what we do is really to just take care of everything. I always go past always go the extra yard on everybody because really man it's like a 10 minute thing that just makes the difference uh we're working the recording but if they have a show like we're working jr's srt recording um but we've done the whole tour as well like work the whole tour for them so you're, pr so you're promoting their tour you're putting out everything. social media p posts about where they're playing where you can find recorded music Yep, everything. Uh, everything, uh, reaching out to print publications to get reviews written up, uh, you know. Yeah, it's um, it really is. But there's so many things that kind of, like I said, there's so many different opportunities today that we didn't have, man. And I mean, I'm not saying it's easier. It's it's actually harder. And, and I'll say this, with all of those areas that we go to to get these things, um, I don't know if you'd agree or if we're going to get yelled at, but I will tell you, the amount of material that's out there now because of technology yeah. puts a lot of dirt in the way of what you're trying to get through, you know? Um, and I will safely say 70% of the music that's on, you know, streaming and, and has the ability to just be in front of everybody wouldn't get this sniff of light 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Well, for sure. No, I don't think anybody would no. dispute that. That's the thing. I mean, it's the, it's the beauty of having access to all this stuff is we do, we discover artists and bands that we wouldn't have before that maybe yeah. didn't have the face for MTV back in the day, you know, cause yeah. there's that joke, that's that old joke, you know, that amazing seventies band. And they're like, can you imagine if they came out in the eighties? Like no one would pay attention to mm. them. because These guys are just horrific looking gentlemen, but man, they kick ass. And so, yeah. uh, you know, we're dealing with a certain amount of that still, uh, in the industry, 
so there's two ways to look at it. There's a lot of shit that you have to sift through to find the good stuff. But um, yeah. as in you, I know you have kids too, but to, to, to see this uh, discovery of music and art through my children to watch my sons like find music and then now come to me and say, Hey dad, have you checked this out? Did you check this out? <laughs> yeah. It's been so fun. And I'm like, where did you find this? And like, well, you know, I was listening to, you know, my regular stuff and then just came out of my recommended or this recommended or a friend of mine found this somewhere, somewhere. And that's stuff that when I was growing up, you'd be hanging out at a record store and somebody say, Hey man, this came in. Yeah. It's a cutout. Yeah. It's a, you know, we got this from uh, East Berlin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Crazy. And, but when, and also when I say snip, they wouldn't see the light of day. It's not disrespectful to their music. I mean, there was not the, the industry didn't, didn't work like that. There were, ga- so, there were gatekeepers. Yeah. And there were people like you to get a record. I mean, when I was at Berkeley, man, we walked around with a cassette tape, you know, <laughs> hoping to meet the guy like it was ridiculous you know but that's all we knew yeah yeah you know now you can call the guy right you know and he'll take your call and then when he says do you want to be on my label he'll say that'll cost you ten thousand dollars it's like people are paying to be on labels you know i remember when a record deal was like an honor <laughs> it's like you know <laughs> i i know i know man it's 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 not it's crazy uh now it's yeah. just like okay if that's what you that's where you're going with that well but it's interesting so like what you're doing is your your industry has has evolved, but at the same time, it's probably filling uh, some gaps in the industry that uh, record labels used to do. They were in charge of promotion. They were in charge of all this stuff. So now that they are less relevant, now you have uh, an opportunity to step in and, you know, assist those that are producing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, biggest thing that ever happened to me as far as timing was that phone call uh, that the guy thought I was a publicist. But the other thing was this, if you remember, every record label was closing. Yes. And everybody was freaking like there would be no more music or something, you know? And I remember going, okay, so there may be, I'm sure my numbers aren't right, but I'm saying maybe there was 20 major publicity offices in the world in the country or world whatever that handled the labels stuff and those that's how the music got out you know but all of a sudden i had 500,000 people that needed pr yes you know what i mean that's really what happened and um you know really was a, a sequence of wow <laughs> you know um and we were at the grammy awards 2 years later oh, wow. you know at with sanabria and I remember going there and going like, I had 37 cents in the bank two years ago. Like, this is insane, <laughs> you know? And, um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's just, you know, it's a, it, it really is tough, but you know, man, if you look at the way that, you know, like a pitch to a certain writer, it's, it's creative, you know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff that's very cool. And as excited as I get when my kids do something is as excited as I get when a, when a client gets a piece that they just can't believe they got, or, you know what I mean? Um, it's great. You know, it's the greatest feeling in the world. I've been very blessed, you know, on the drummer side where we don't really have to worry about gad getting, you know, coverage, that type of stuff. But, but overall, that's the fun of it. Well, I think another thing is, is 
much in the same way that I've discovered this podcast as being such a joy to do, continues to be a joy to do. I feel like when I'm done with my interviews, I feel like I just stepped off stage. I, I get this yeah. feeling. I really yeah. love this interaction. I love just talking music, and it just has that that washes over me, that feeling that we get when we're talking and hanging out with people and and talking about things that we really love and and doing this. And I, I have a feeling that, that that's this, or I'm getting the impression that's the same for you. And uh, oh, yeah. so, you know, all these other aspects of the industry, if this is what you love, uh, can be just can give you that 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 feedback, that, that joy yeah. in participating. I kind of joke about it, man. It's so funny. I was saying this to a friend yesterday. Um, you know, I say it jokingly, but I wonder if I'm saying it in a you know little backgrounded way. I say all the time, I go, man, the reason I the reason I work so hard is because I love hearing that. I lo- and I'm being I love hearing when an artist will say to me, "You are unbelievable." I know I'm not unbelievable, but it's not the point. The point is I don't ever hear that anywhere else, <laughs> family or anything. You know what I mean? So it really, you know, Dad, you're great, but past that. But overall, that re- I don't know what it is. It's probably some therapeutic thing that I didn't get through, but I I I really believe that. Like, there's nothing better than having you know, getting, you're going through your day and all of a sudden JR sends you an email that says like, I cannot be, I cannot tell you how happy I am that we have met and what you're doing. And it's like, huh? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's just such a, and man, I'm, I've been playing drums 50 years, man. You know what I mean? It's like being able to, you know, I mean, and like I said, the list, Mm. you know, has been just phenomenal, but being a drum, and I say this all the time, all the people I've worked with, I never asked them for a lesson. Like you would think one day, like, dude, could you show me, you know? Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, any engagement with these people is just like you said, man, it's, it's, you feel like you're in, I feel like I'm in a place I shouldn't be, <laughs> you know, I'm in a meeting with these people and I go, this guy's Quincy Jones's left-hand man. And he's talking to me. Like it's still. Well, it is it's amazing. Like it's both. It's like it's it's amazing, and it's like I I I see some of these famous drummers that we've always revered and seen on the cover, of Modern Drummer, and felt like they're so inaccessible. They're like supermodels, you know. Have you ever? Yeah, ever, I know, man. That's what supermodels like. are like. Nobody asks me out. I can't find a man to date, you know, whatever, because they're so afraid of of, of, of t- talking to me like I would never give them the time of day. Well, I think a lot of these uh, musicians that we uh, you know, re- again, revere that they're just, they're, they're just, they're just like you and me. They have the same life issues and, and, and. Oh yeah, man. Want to share. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you do is artist development. Can you talk about that? Like what's involved in something like that? Um, it really depends on, you know, and it it depends on the client and the artist, because obviously, like you say, you know, certain people don't need that yeah um but you know what's funny man look at jr he's he's still in that working of keeping it alive you know what i mean he works hard at that and and doesn't need to do a thing (laughs) you know but the um rephrase the question again let me think how is it how is it so one of the jobs that you do besides concert oh the artist development i'm sorry yes all right there's your edit um uh, artist development really depends. Like, like I said, the, the main people don't need it, but if somebody like, I'll give you an example. Somebody just came to me out of the blue, a uh, piano player. I'd never heard of him. He's from Georgia. 
you know, and I'm going, where, you know, sends me the material, man. And it was unreal. <laughs> you know, like I was sitting here like this, you know, and uh, so I spoke to him and we agreed to do it. And uh, when you say artist development, I'll give you an example. Like I always try to say the, the development is getting some press. It's getting, you know, the, there's the general stuff. Um, but what I do in the artist development side, man, which I just started talking about it one day and I it kind of took is everybody approaches these things in their development in a way that pretty much is most of them, it ain't going to work. You know, like I, I would get, I would get phone calls in the past where they would say, you know, Chris, man, I emailed Scott at the 55 bar, you know, 12 times for a gig and he's never gotten back to me. And I said, does he know you? No. Well, why would he give his venue to, you know, like trying to show the artist, you have to adjust your approach. In today's day and age, if you are trying to book something outside of your state, you can't meet with that person. Tell them that you do a Zoom with them. Let them see that you're not, you know, somebody who just got out of jail and wants their club. Um, I remember once I told uh, Adam Larson was a, is an old client, an old friend of ours too. He's been here forever. He's such a great sax player and such a good person. And uh, he called me up and he goes, I want to play the jazz standard. And I said, I, I know Adam, everybody does. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, we got to take. So he goes, yeah, but it gave me the thing, you know, like I sent them and, and really what else do you want them to do? You know what I mean? They're sending them. It's like, you know, there's no, I'm just trying to give them a different, you know, um, I said, call them up and tell them you want to have a meeting. What? I said, both club up, tell them you want to come in and just meet with them for 10 minutes and hand them the stuff. You won't take much of their time at all. You got the gig. Yeah. You know, and those things, man. Um, I'll tell you a little funny story that applies to drums and everything else. And uh, I told the story to Cindy because she wasn't married to him. When I worked at the record plant in 89 and 90, I worked with Santana. At, that's the project that was going on. So you know, I was, I'd come to work and I'd be like, Carlos Santana sitting, right? You know, I mean, it was really, but we became friendly, like, um, not, we didn't go to dinner at night. I mean, but like during the session, uh, I used to have like all these jazz bootleg tapes that I used to record when I was a kid and I told him about it. And he was like, could you make me these copies and all this stuff? So we started doing this whole thing. So long story short, I knew his address. I knew his home address because I used to have to go there to get equipment. So I leave the earthquake, everything. I leave there. Uh, a year later, Santana comes to the Beacon Theater. And um, I call them up and I said, look, it's if you can't, we would love to see the show. They give us tickets, right? So what I was taught when I was younger uh, from a, a relative, um, I came home and I wrote him a thank you card immediately. Yes. Not, you know, a meet, well, we didn't have that, but immediately sent him a thank you card the next day. A year later, um, same gig. They, they're playing the Beacon again. Uh, I didn't ask for tickets. I bought tickets. Um, I'm walking out at the end of the show, and there's the manager, George, and he says, oh, what? hey, Chris, you don't want you go upstairs. Carlos is there, right? I walk up the stairs. Uh, I get to the top, and I see a group of about 10 people around him, and he's not six foot eight. You know, <laughs> it's like I had to. And we were not this close. He went like this and he goes, Chris, and he comes running over to me and gives me a big hug. And I'm going, I literally thought for a second, does he, 
does he know it's me? Does he think it's somebody like, you know, <laughs> he, pull, he pulled me back and I want everybody to hear this. Carlos Santana, Chris, I've been playing music for 25 years, taking care of everyone, doing my best. No one ever sent me a thank you card. Good Lord. And I never, and to this day, I could find them here somewhere, stack on the desk. And I tell every single artist, if there is something that is given to you, if, if you did get that gig that you wanted and they gave you that night, even if it was a Monday at you know midnight, whatever it was, the next day, send them a card. I don't want to hear about email. <laughs> yeah, you know? dude, I, that, that's amazing. But that's what I mean about development. This is not always, this is not just about practicing and being writing. You know, it's, it's about a whole approach, man. And everybody takes the same approach. So how do you think that you're going to fit into that? Wanna, you're not. I want to show you that the, this, this is a Starbucks mug from Edmonton, from Edmonton, Canada. This was sent to me by former guest, Chad Melchert, uh, sweetheart, great drummer, CCMA Drummer of the Year nominated many, many times, a winner as well. We had a great interview, great conversation. Ask for my address. A couple weeks later, I get this mug and a T-shirt from his studio. And I'm like, get get out. This is this is crazy. I mean, I've, I've had other people send me things. Of course, yeah. immediately I'm like, what's your address? I'm sending you a shirt. I'm sending you whatever. Yeah. And we've stayed in touch. You know, and, and that's what I'm saying. But like, if he needed something, you can't do it technically. You got it. But are you going to listen and you're going to try to be there for him? Of course. So that's what you need to do to the people that are monitoring the music. You know what I mean? The people that are moving everything from the gigs to the managements and all that. Everybody says, oh, I need a booking agent. Well, yeah, it'd be great. But the reality is I see people who don't have a booking agent and they are unbelievable because they take an approach that's different, man. You know, and it's uh it takes time, but that's really part of the development. When I say artist development, it's, you know, trying to work within things that are going to make them a little bit more noticeable. But really, a lot of it is that how do you approach it? Right. So do you, you know? there's some there's some like human psychology, maybe like educating people on maybe some things that are missing in their in, I mean, because you're dealing with artists, you're dealing with eccentrics yeah. and, and sometimes uh, you know, we've all met people that are just like amazing, uh, amazing talents, but j just lack that social skill that oh, yeah. oftentimes as an independent artist is so essential. I mean, again, we talk about gatekeepers. You could be as weird as Bob Dylan if you wanted to be because his team around him is going to take care of business. You don't yeah. have that luxury now. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. You know, it really is. So it's 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 a huge thing, man. But it is it is the music side and the business side, but it's also show up in front of that person and make them go, wow. So that's and, and, and I want to kind of pull all this down, distill it down to something that our listeners can use. So not everybody's a drummer that listens to this, fortunately, but most of them are. Are they're, yeah. they're working drummers they or they want to be working drummers. So, you know, th these are elements that I think are very important. And one of the questions I had written out was, since we're all on social media uh, and in a way being our own PR, what advice would you give to musicians in any stage of their career on how to promote themselves in a healthy and productive way? Yeah, um, I'll give you a great example on some of those things that kind of they kind of lack on it first. Um, when I see people post something, when they're trying to get to that level, 
and I see them post something that says, hey, man, uh, I'm doing a new CD. Do I do liner notes or not? You know, and you're trying to get just a vibe. But do you think Michael Brecker would do that if he was alive? Do you think Chris Potter would do that? Do you think you, you put anybody you put those if you put out that vibe that you are in the minor leagues, you're in the minor leagues, man. And that's how it's going to be. You know, it's um, the stupidity of um, of political, po- you know, just don't just don't get, you know, in that area. You know, um, the area that in reference to what you said was is to really show that professionalism in everything that you're doing in it. And 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 I tell you something, man, some people, you know, pending the gig, they walk on stage like they're throwing the garbage out. You know what I mean? There's, it goes down to that. I mean, it really does. But in a way of promoting yourself right now, I'll tell you, it it almost appears to be the social media route because I do hear a lot that I'll say to somebody, have you ever done PR? And they say, um, we have, but I did it myself last time and it really didn't work out too well. And I think that happens a lot. You know, there's something to be said when someone wants to represent you. There really is, man. That that really takes a, a, a look where someone says, if somebody's representing him, you know, I mean, I like it, but I know it's, you know, put together well. So they can do the social media thing, but that also, you know, you and my grandmother has a social media page. Oh, yeah, I mean? of it's course. Not, that, that is a yeah. thing. But I mean, uh, you know, uh, my PR is not to an audience per se, but other to other musicians, to producers and engineers, yeah, and other musicians to hire me to play drums, to record drums, and things like yep. that. So you know, I don't feel like I personally need representation in my situation, my scenario. Uh, but what you are offering. Uh, to these, uh, to your clients and and your experience is something that it's like, okay, that's a great idea. Like when I post things, keep it cool, keep it neutral, uh, make make it professional, you know, come across. Yeah. I mean, I think you want to be humble, but at the same time, it you can't be self-deprecating. You need to show people that you're ready for yeah. anything. Just pretend if you're doing anything, just pretend you know, you, you're playing Madison Square Garden on Friday night. Would you, would you type that? You know what I mean? Just anything that works. I use things like that, you know, where I'll do something and then I go, wait a minute. That's not, you know? Yeah. Well, then there's the opposite. Like, uh, okay. So years ago, uh, in Columbus, I was, I was with a local band and we played the side stage before an outdoor amphitheater show with Boston. Somebody would take that and say, I played with Boston you know, no, no, you didn't. First of all, you you might have opened up for them. We didn't even open up for them. We played on a side stage. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's sometimes people just take it to the extreme. You know, I I can't think of the of the the words, man. I should have put this off, and I'll send it to you. Okay. I I when I taught at uh, two years ago, I taught a PR class for Jeff Letterer, the sax player, um, at CW Post on Long Island, and. I did a video. I showed this video on songwriting because we were doing a section on that. And uh, this guy came up. It was the video. And he he's an old time songwriter from like the 60s. Or, you know what I mean? But he looked young. I wrote a million songs. He comes up and he says, if you're in this business, he said, you either have suffered trauma, you are depressed, 
you are, uh, I mean, he went through like five things where you go like, oh my God, like real, and he's, but he's right, man. Yeah. You know, we don't need to talk about these things. And a little, it could be just your parents were a nightmare, you know? (laughs) Um, But the reality is every single person, this goes back to what I said before, every one of them wants love. Think about it. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them wants love. That's it. And in most cases, because they never got it. Yeah. You know, let me tell you, man, I lived a very, you know, mom worked, dad worked. I was home alone a lot at a very early age. And I would play drums all day. Yep. You know, but um, yeah, it's, um, I just really believe it has to do with the, and I don't mean that overboard. You know what I mean? Like, cause I always say this, man, people, many famous musicians, yeah, they, they left a, a legacy, but you ever notice too, man, it's like someone will pass away in the industry or something like that. It's like three days of like, you know, I remember when John gave me a pencil, you know, and then nobody says another word, the guy's gone. You never hear about him again. No. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, that's how quick this comes and goes, you know? So you really, you really got to stay on it, man. I always like a lot of times if I worry about something, I go, Dude, when you die, man, three days later, nobody's going to remember it. So it's not really a big deal, you know. But um, yeah, it's it's a trip, man. It's a trip. Well, maybe that's why you like to hear that. Like, Chris, you're doing such a great job. It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you're getting that. That's what I said, man. Right, right. Yeah. No, no, I feel that too. And it's it's funny. My, my... And a lot of that stuff is personal, Matt. You know what I mean? Like, and we don't need to go in there and it's nothing tr- tragic. But I think a lot of these people, man, when you hear the guy say it, I'll send it to you. You're going to go, oh, my God. You know, uh, and he says the key word, he goes, we are all massively dysfunctional. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> so it's- my, my son is studying guitar and, you know, when he, t- he said, dad, you need to be, a, uh, you know, why can't you be a bad father? Because I, I, how am I going to write music? You know, if you <laughs> see what I mean, man, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a trip. But like, you know, there are some people that their ego is just, you know what I think about, too, man, I think about these. Uh, what was the name of that group? White Lion. They yeah. were in the, yeah. And Greg D'Angelo was the drummer. And I knew Greg. He grew up right down the block from me. And um, are you saying, his and I knew his cousin. Are you saying his last name right? D'Angelo? Is that yeah, right? no, I'm just kidding. I'm Something, dismissive. you know, oh, because of the Italian. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, Matt Cruz. Anyway. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, at that time, man, I mean, Greg, and he was cool, man. He was never over the time. Jeff Fab's like that. I see Jeff every other day. You would never know he plays drums for Zach Bile. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, but Greg, there are people like they go in there and they are it, man. Like, you know, people making them, they're doing everything for them. You didn't have to set your drums up and all that stuff, you know. And then when it passes, because it always will, <laughs> it's like, it's just gone, man. You know what I mean? Like, you know how many bands I've seen, like they played, they played, giant stadium and now they're playing like Westbrook music fair on Long Island with like 2000 people, you know? So it's the ego thing. If, if you're running it on that, you're going to have a hard time in a couple of years because it goes away, man. Listen, when I ended up at the Grammy awards after two years and 37 cents, I'd be lying to you. If I told you I didn't get off that plane with a little swagger, you know what I mean? Because I was, I felt really proud, but the reality, right? Listen, I got 28 Grammy nominations on my wall. We got a Grammy award over there. We got another winner over there. I still got to get up tomorrow morning and do the same thing. Doesn't mean anything. 
doesn't mean anything. I mean, don't get me wrong. Doesn't it means? But you know what I mean. Well, it's more about. Can we get real for a second, though. Like, what other aspects of your life can you be like? This is where I put stock into. This is what is. This is what fills my heart and and gives me pride. What is that? Yeah, I'll tell you, man. And I don't know if this is really the correct connection to the answer, but. I say a lot of times, I mean, we have a beautiful, not a mansion, we have a beautiful home overlooking a farm in an area that I've wanted to live my whole life. And when I go outside and I look at the house, I go, music did that, mm-hmm. you know, music. And I didn't pay, I didn't play the garden. You know what I mean? I didn't go on a major tour. Yeah. I'm not made for that. <laughs> so the the enthusiasm for that every day, really, if, and if that really is kind of, we're still in music, you know what I mean? Um but I will say, and I don't want to sound like Father Flanagan here, but aside from loving what I do and making sure that that boat is above, because I have to tell you, man, the boat was almost gone on May in May 2020. And I mean almost gone. <laughs> um, but I have to tell you, man, I love, love, love sitting on a call like this, even after we get off the the, the talking of the campaign and sharing those things where you're helping the artists. And in a way that, I know for a fact this year, I know for a fact, because I could see it. And they tell you that putting that passion into making, you know, giving them that extra yard, there's nothing like it, man. And and they, and they they're also, I'll tell you what's interesting about it. I never think about it like that, but people notice that now because they say everybody in the music business is, you know, <laughs> so it becomes a little bit more shining because it's refreshing, you know, like people realize like, wow, this guy cares. Right, right. You know, and, and, and I do care because it's also supporting me. <laughs> so, you know, and my family. Yeah, but people so. can smell bullshit, man. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. And they're, yeah, like, so to your point, you were, you're, you know, there's a lot of that in the business. And so when somebody comes up and just shows an enthusiasm and an honesty, it, it's, it's, it's a stark difference. One of the greatest quotes I've ever seen was Roger Staubach had a quote and said, there's no traffic in the extra mile. Mm. Meaning, because nobody does it, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And it's not, you know, I don't want to say nobody does it. That's not the case. I know many people that do it. Um, But it's, uh, and I think it's because of the business, you know, your landscaper could be a miserable son of, you know, SOB, but if he does the lawn great and everything looks wonderful, you deal with it, you know, (laughs) but on the other side, you you have to have that, you know, that connection and it's or it, it's so important. It really is. And I got to tell you, it's just it's just a breeze. Like I don't even, it's just don't think about it. And I am grateful for that because I, you know, if I had a struggle every day to be nice and didn't want to take phone calls and, to, you know, it would be and not people a fun would job. pick up on that for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let me ask you about marketing instruments. So you're working oh, with A and F drums, which are super cool. Uh, yeah. How does does that differ from working with individuals? Um, well, first of all, let me kind of tell you how I operate. Okay. I kind of my when well, first of all, the story was I had never seen drums like that in my life. Yeah. Um, I went to see Tears for Fears last summer, and um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but my roommate from Berkeley has a identical twin. And he's the keyboard player for Tears for Fears. So that's how I ended up going. And they started taking the drums out. And I said, like, what the hell are those? Mm. I mean, they they look like Civil War drums, but yet killing, you know? And then they played them. And I was like, what's I said? And and I never think this. I got to get in touch with these guys, man. People need to know about these drums. So um, Rami, who's the owner, um, 
I don't know if I've met a, a nicer individual. I really, I mean, aside from you, Matt, but I don't know if, uh, no, I just mean an understanding person who runs a company and, and takes care of everything nicely. And, and, you know, so I thought about it and I said, look, you know, I can try to push these drums and stuff, but, you know, I said, look, you got 12 people on your lab, on your kits that are in Dorsey's. I'll represent the endorse the, the you know the people that are on your list. Now some of them are Jamie, uh, what's his name, Eric from uh, Stone Temple Pilots, all those guys. But um, some of them, uh, Brady Blade, Brian Blade's drummer is on them, and um, so I just went to town and trying to do these things for them, and it worked out incredibly. I got them, I got Brady and uh, not Brady, um, John Sparrow, the drummer from Violent Femmes, and working with him too. Um, but I got John Sparrow and an A and F feature story tour on the cover of modern drummer wow and getting a, a company on there is hard man because if you have a company you go what how come i'm not there yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna break their chops until i'm there so they don't want to get involved in you know but they did it and um we've just done you know uh jamie who will tell you in two seconds if he hasn't he tells the whole world uh, he probably mentioned it. Um, you know, he's been in recovery for about four years now. What an amazing and, interview. Oh my God, man. Yeah. Right. He's, and he's been, he's just, he's a power of example, man. If, if anybody is, Very inspiring. um, I got Jamie a feature it, well, it's a hell of a place to get the feature, right. But, uh, in recovery magazine, recovery today or whatever sure. it was, um, you know, things like that. Think about showing people outside the lines. And I'll tell you a very amazing story that just happened this week with Rami and that company. Um, I, he sent me an email at the beginning of the week and he said, uh, I think it's about time we start putting the specs together on your kit. And I went, what the hell are you talking about? And I said, oh my God, I think I told him in the beginning, you know, I wanted a kit. Like, you know, yeah. now I don't have $11,000 you know, to put towards a kit. <laughs> so I just wrote him back and I go, listen, I go, I'm, I'm just, I don't want, we haven't spoke about it. So I don't want to, you know, I said, if this is something I'd call, just give me an idea what the arrangement is. Yeah. You want me to work at all, whatever, you know? Um, and he writes me back and he said, I cannot tell you how much we are so thankful for what you've done for our company and the artists. And, and um, he was with Jamie the night before. So I think Jamie must've, you know, um, and he said, uh, we're going to build you Jamie's drum set. Don't worry about it. Oh man. You dog. And, awesome. and I tell you, man, I actually had the tears in my eye. That's how I was. Huh? You know? So, um, but you know what, man, that's a, that is an absolute return from treating people and doing things in the way of the business, the way we talked about. I hear you. You know, if I was a schmuck, he would have, he would have said he has a pair of drumsticks, you know, like leave me alone, but that's the kind of stuff. But in the marketing side of it, um, 2000, uh, I can only give you the cliff notes of it, but in 2000, I was teaching and I was teaching drums in the afternoon and the guy who owned the music store said to me, came up to me and he said to me, uh, you know anything about this internet thing? And I go, I go, yeah, I mean, you know, I got a black and white, I had a black and white screen, my first, you know, internet, internet thing. And, uh, <laughs> and he goes, yeah, he goes, I think, and they were a guitar store. I taught drums there, but they were a guitar shop. Uh -huh. And, uh, he said, I, I think I want to start selling guitars on the internet. And what did I do, Matt? You dug in deep. No, where did I go? Oh, drums. No, where did I go? I went to Barnes and Noble. Oh, okay. the internet, the internet for dummies. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, 
pedals, things like this on news groups. It was like the most ridiculous thing. So the first, I quit my job to do it. I left teaching to do it. And um, the first year we did like a gross of like $30,000 and it was like, you know, and used guitars and pedals. The second year we did $2 million. Oh my God. eBay, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just exploded. And I will tell you, um, it was all marketing. It's about, you know, you have to, you know, if you see a, you know, a Paul Stanley guitar is not going to go to, you know, the guy that's into Creedence Clearwater Revival. You know what I mean? You have, it's a basis of where you, you market it. Um, but the thing is this, man, like, you know, instrument marketing pre-1999 was go to the store, learn about the product, you know, all that right. stuff. Now I can look up the strangest African bell in the world and get it. And, you know, so the marketing is totally different, but I got to be honest with you, man. If the products are good, especially like A and F, just do your job. It'll take care of itself, really. Yeah. You yeah. know, they speak, man. It's like a vocalist, you know. It is, you hear it, it. it is interesting because, you know, you've got guitar players that like, I just got to get my hands on that strat because everyone is different. I've got to hear that ride cymbal. I've got to you know, check out this type of drum head or feel the sticks in my hand, especially at a certain mm -hmm. point. And I think that's what sustains these music stores around the country. Yeah. I mean, you know, these things like reverb and all that stuff. I mean, these sites all are all, it, it basically takes your store and builds another one. Yeah. Think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're addressing the street you're on and you're addressing the world. Yes. I addressed the world at that place and Tommy would address okay. the store okay. and that's how we did it, man. But again, no clue, man. I was like, password. What the hell? I was like, I'm telling you and look how far we've come. Right. Oh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, we're, we're, it's crazy. We're experiencing it right now. Yeah. Well, let me ask you what, you know, it's obvious you have drums in your history. Tell us kind of where that started, you know, tell us about your origin story with drums and things. I tell you, man, and I won't, but as far as the incredible experiences I've been blessed to have from the day I started playing, I could fill up three more episodes. Um, I honestly, I started playing when I was five and I just thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. That's really what it was. I think I saw a drummer and I was like, that's cool. Um, I lived in an apartment building. So playing was tough, but I did. And no one complained. Everybody knew like Chris played drums and it was cool. And, um, and I remember just, it it really was like a savior, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like it just, if, when I was behind that kit, I felt okay, you know? And, uh, and I just, nothing could touch me, you know? And also being able to, uh, I really was very blessed to see things like my mom, you know, even though they weren't around a lot, like when they would, they couldn't get the sitter, they'd take me to the show to see, you know, and I'm not a hundred, uh, I saw, you know, Ella Fitzgerald and Joe Pass. I saw the Buddy Rich Big Band and Frank Sinatra at Carnegie Hall. I saw like, you know, these things that just made me want to do more and more and more and more. So um, every day I'd come home from school. Every day I used to, go, I'm huge, by the way, this is, I don't know if I've, no one even knows this, but uh, I'm huge deadhead. I've seen The Grateful Dead over 300 times. Uh, my first show, I was 11. So what I would do is I would go downstairs every day and play to a full bootleg show. Wow. Every summer, I used to go to uh, to San Francisco to um, visit my aunt, and she lived in Northern California. You land in San Francisco, and you'd go three three hours up. And um, this was pretty much the game changer. I mean, I always was playing, but this was. A, and I went to visit her, 
And she said to me, by the way, guess who lives in our town now? And I said, who? And she said, Billy Kreutzman, the drummer from the dead. And I was like, you know, 13 years old going like, and I'd been to already like 20 shows, you know? So I, I couldn't believe it. I was freaking out. So one day I get up and I've got my steal your face t-shirt on yeah. and we stop at the general store, general store, gas station, post office. That was the town. And um, we stop at the store. I walk in, grab something to drink and I'm sitting online and some guy goes behind me. Hey man, that's a great shirt. And I turn around and it was crazy. Wow. So uh, you know, I got back in the car. I'm like, I saw Billy. I, saw Billy. You know, I was freaking out. <laughs> Two weeks later, we go to an event. Uh, we end up at a barbecue at somebody's house in town. We're invited to. Um, and we pull into the driveway and my uncle goes, Kreutzmann's here. And he was, he was at the barbecue. And we spent the entire night talking drums. Uh, he invited me to his house the next day to go up into the barn and play with him. And so I left, went home. Nobody could even believe what happened, you know, so that's nothing. <laughs> so the next year I go back and he's there, they're off, they're not touring. And I brought my drums to California with me for a three week vacation. I, I don't know, but they let me do it. And I did it. He comes over to my uncle's house one day for some business thing with carpentry or something. And he goes, whose drums are these? And I said, they're mine, Billy. And he goes, I need a favor. And I said, what's the matter? He goes, we are having a huge bash for my dad on Saturday, 50th birthday party, like huge thing. And a local guy, Philo Hayward, country band, played there forever, uh, is playing. I'm playing drums with them. He goes, but my drums can't get up in time from San Rafael. So he said, could I borrow the drums? So I was like, sure, take them. Tomorrow, next, that Saturday, he shows up at my uncle's house. I got the drums all set. And I, he pulls up with a pickup truck and he goes, uh, I'm putting them in. And I go, what's all the percussion stuff for? And he goes, that's yours. Oh my gosh. So I said, what are you talking about? That's not mine. Is it the drum? I literally, I was 13, you know? And he goes, no, you're playing with me tonight. And I, I still couldn't. I was like, what are you talking about? We ended up going to the party. We were invited. Um, everybody was dressed in, you had, you could not get into the party unless you had a poem that you were going to read. <laughs> that's that. Um, the band set up and I played percussion right next to Billy Kreutzman all night for three hours. And I was 13 years old. And ever since that point, first of all, at, from that point on, I never paid for another Grateful Dead show. <laughs> um, I sat on the stage behind the drums all the time. It was just a, and that's something that made me realize young. Yeah. Everybody puts their pants on the same way. Like Billy is just another dude, man. He was teaching at a music store and ended up in a band, you know, but you know, that to um, just really, I was able to play on a soundtrack for a, uh, a cable vision thing, you know, when cable vision was like one channel and uh, I was 13 in the studio tracking these things. So I'm like, how the hell did, you know, so I've, I've always, and then look what the hell happened here, man. You know, um, you know, Lenny White, Peter Erskine, Steve, De I mean, it's insane. When I look at the list, I go like, you know, and that event, which would set anybody into that mode, um, made me realize if this guy said you can do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's it, you continue to have this just joy and passion in, in what you're doing and 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 kind of just 
hold on to the feeling that we got when we were kids. And that's it. And we also, I also have gone through that. I'm sure you have too. Where like, I didn't play for six months or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had those days and those moments where it's just busy and I'm not in the mood or whatever. And, you know, but it is literally like a relative. You know what I mean? Like the Grateful Dead and drums are the only two things in my life I've ever done for over 20 years, you know? Um, but it is, it's a, it's a, it was really a safe haven for me, man. It really was. And I'm not saying anybody was abused or anything like that. I'm just saying it was a real safe. Well, I mean, I mean, gosh, no matter what kind of family or upbringing you have, we all, uh, you know, there, there's things in that just life itself can, can dish out that can make things difficult and we all have to manage in, in one way or another. There's a lot of us that have fortunately found music and drums and, oh gosh, I, you know. Pandemic hit Matt and I went downstairs I mean, we really had, we had nothing to do, you know? So I remember going downstairs. I said, you're going to play every day. And from March 20th, 20 to now, I've probably missed 20 days. Yeah. Like I, for the first two years, I was downstairs every night, four hours. Wow. You know? So it, look, it, again, another blessing from that whole cacophony. Yeah, yeah. You know? There's some silver linings. Well, let me ask you one last question. How has being a drummer, being a musician informed you in- in the way you do your job now how does it help um oh i'll give you the perfect example of that uh another wow what a break when i worked at systems two um i got the job there they were doing hasidic music and bad rock and roll and the owner who i owe my life to uh the owner um didn't really get it he didn't know jazz and these things started to come in so one day I went in and Marvin Smitty Smith is playing drums on this gig. And the next day, Dennis Chambers is playing on it and, and I'm hanging out with them. And it's, you know, and I'm like, I'm 19, like, what, what, you know, I just came from Berkeley and now I'm working with these guys. Like what, but what happened incredibly also because of the genre um, and a lot of those drummers obviously do different things, but I'm telling you 60 to on the older side, not the newer generation that's been born in the two thousands, but any musician that kind of is the pre 2020 or 2000. Yeah. I worked with yeah. in, a, in a working scenario of getting something done for them that was being, that was $200 an hour, that was pressure, that was, got to get that cable set up right, all that stuff. And then when I started doing this, those people were my clients. Yeah. So the whole thing, it was like I was there for a reason to learn about them. You know what I mean? It was, that's really, so that experience and all the things I heard, um, I take right to here along with what I've learned on the new end of things. I mean, I sort I won't say that obviously mentioned names, but they were, I did a session once with a very famous saxophone player and a very famous bass player was on the, on the gig and the saxophone player snapped at the trumpet player in something. And it was like, no reason, you know? Um, and the bass player um, who I'll tell you offline, but uh, the bass player took him outside. And I remember him going very nicely said, do you, do you want to get the most out of this by responding like that? Like you're not going to, you know, like you have to treat these people the way you want to be treated. And I'm sitting there listening to this. And I'm like, this guy's a legend. Like, okay, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll pick up on that. So there was a ton of stuff, man, that just became, um, it was, you never know that, you know, you always think that those, those, you never realize that those jobs 
or leading. I'll tell you something else. One, I think it was like a four month period. My dad was in charge. Uh, he retired now, but he was in charge of uh, distribution in New York State <laughs> of the New York Times. So wow. I worked there for four months and it was nights and I was out of work and I was miserable. Uh, I, I used to work nine to five at night. It was just, and it was so not me, you know? Um, it was me and like 40 mobsters laying newspaper. It was, you know, and I would sit there and I would lay these foreign newspapers and I'd be like, I can't wait to get, you know, hated that job. Became a publicist and guess who knew every, every single foreign publication that, that there was and how to get in touch with them from that job. Yep. Yep. Never knew it, you know, never saw that. So all those things, man, lead to on how to deal with it now. But also, you know, there's always a new crazy man, you know? <laughs> well, right. I mean, you're talking about like this direct link between that time and what you do now. But I mean, we've we've in this conversation talked about many examples of just like normal human interaction that is building the skill set that is so important to just managing day to day, whether you want to be hired as a, a sideman or, uh, you know, uh, 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 be an artist themselves or whatever you're doing in life. It's like all these things are so important. And, and it sucks that we have to be reminded of that, but it's just the reality of things. Oh, it is. Man. And it's also the way people learn things. You know, we don't get the footnotes on those things before we, or the cliff notes on them before we meet them. <laughs> you know, I had somebody recently, we did a record with them and it was a tough record. Uh, but he, he did okay, you know, for a new person and the whole thing. And he asked me if I could recommend him to join the Grammy Association because you have to have two recommendations. And I said, sure, John, I'll do that for you, no problem. And he goes, the new record, the second record's in, you know, in January. He goes, that would be for, you know, we're going over the whole thing. And then uh, three, he gets he gets accepted. I get the letter. And two days later, he went to another publicity firm. <laughs> so, oh, my God. You know, that we, and we did, and listen, again, man, I always say this. I don't take it personally anymore because it's almost like trying on a new dress, trying a new coach, like I said, you know, but, you know, use the, the realistic ideas of being respectful to what somebody just did to you, you know, uh, working with people for 15 years, um, nothing ever going wrong. Uh, and they go and do another, their next record with somebody else and they don't say a word to you, you know, and it's like, it's just things like that. You learn I don't really get, I don't get annoyed at it anymore, man. I really don't because it's, it's people, you know? So, but, uh, I remember, uh, like seeing a, a drummer that was on a gig that I used to do and he was just kind of standing <laughs> on the side, kind of minding his own business. I went out of my way to like approach him. Hey man, I've heard great things that like you, the guys love you. You're yeah. kicking ass. And he just, he opened up and he, he was surprised that I came his direction you know, it's like, I'm not saying we've become close friends, but it's like we've become peers. Yeah, because of what you did. Right. And and, and, it's, yeah. and it's because it's, again, going back to the very beginning, this is this is a small community. And when oh, you yeah. show your colors, uh, was it, um, gosh, the, the poet laureate, uh, she's passed away. Oh, I can't remember. But, but it, basically, the, the quote is, is uh, when people show you who they are, believe. I'll leave them. My mother used to say, how many times does somebody need to show you who they are before you believe them? <laughs> Same thing. You know? uh, uh, Maya, uh, Maya Angelou. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I'd say one thing I think you know about the drum community is uh, me. I've seen it where there's a, there's a, you know, a connection in this that's so kind 
that doesn't necessarily exist in you know other areas um i don't remember the last time i worked with a professional drummer who has a name that what couldn't have been my best friend like that's how nice they were you know what i mean look at jr man it's like it's like your grandfather gives you a hug you know what i mean and 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 look what he's done and he's just you know he's got to talk about it because that's what they know him as but it's uh yeah man the, the community is really solid but you said I mean, you something there you said the drummers that i've worked with that have a name that that right there yeah i experienced that when i first moved to nashville and started working at Strum closet with at Gary's shop, and I didn't know. I knew very few drummers in the scene. I learned a lot within the two years that I was there. And one thing I learned was the guys that were the A session players doing the major tours were the nicest, humblest people. And oftentimes, I had to like go out of my way to find out who they were because they weren't bragging. it was some of the players that were coming up that were just like i don't know insecure or whatever but that had to tell you all the things that they were doing or just spend their time bitching about not having enough work or the way things used to be and it was exhausting and i'm like dude shut up dude they used to deliver milk to your front door (laughs) you know what i mean man think about it there used to be a ton of newspapers stuff changes the thing that gets me with this stuff matt is and it's not going to happen. You know what it is? It's like, this is the situation. And they think about it for 10 minutes and then they go, this is a horror show. There's nothing. I, I can't, you know, it'll never happen. I can't figure this out. It's, it's so, I remember, it's a perfect example. Spotify comes out. Mm-hmm. It was like the devil came from the ground, you know, and now everybody needs to be on their playlists. Things develop, man. And, and you know what? Tell me if I'm wrong on this. I said this to my class in college, in the, when I was teaching college. When you and I were younger and you wanted to be a drummer, you were a drummer. <laughs> That's it. Played wedding bands on a weekend. You know what I mean? Um, but now the opportunity for the young person who's interested in music and being in the business, there's so many more things that you can jump into, even if it's not being on stage. Yeah, yeah. I'm not made for the tour. That's why I don't, not that they line up to put me, you know, not that my phone rings off the wall, but I mean, I'm not made for that. Yeah. I'm made for this and I'm in it every day and I love it. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of opportunity. Well, that's, that's kind of my point when we first started was like just the joy that we get, uh, that I think if you kind of discover these things, other aspects of the industry that can be just as fulfilling and, and, yeah. and sometimes, depending on your situation, more fulfilling than than being on stage, than, than being on tour, because yes. there's and pros and cons still, to everything. And it still is is freaky. Like when I when Cindy Blackman calls me on a on a FaceTime, I don't hear what she says for like five. You know what I mean? I'm kind of like, <laughs> and I've known Cindy twenty years. Like wow. it's not even, but yeah, it's um. Yeah, it's a trip. She was so fun. <laughs> well, man, I we again, we 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 just have yeah. to thank you. Like, uh, there's there's, uh, I really enjoy doing all all my interviews. I look forward to them. Uh, but some of the people that you've introduced us to uh, have, some of them, I I would say have become have become friends. Like, I feel like I can reach yeah. out with reach out to them. Uh, a year later and, and have a conversation and, and it just 
brings brings me great joy. Uh, it 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 gives me a, a certain amount of uh, uh, confidence and uh, mm -hmm. dare I say swagger in in my ability to yeah. interact with uh, people that at one point in my life seemed unreachable. Um, they are still amazing. They're still my heroes. They still continue to inspire me, and hopefully, uh, uh, listeners as well. But, um, but it, but it also uh, is a reminder of the humanness uh, that that they still have that that we share. Oh yeah, and and you, and you know when you get to be close to them and you hear certain things and you just kind of, you do realize like they do that. Like the guy works at the deli. It's you know what I mean. It's it is what it is. You yeah, know? yeah. But anyway, well, Matt, I'll let you go. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of how many other people I got. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> well, it's not like uh, but, we won't speak again, man. I mean, no, I know what I mean. But I'm saying and now, what's the deal with this thing? You chop it up, I guess, right? You don't have me. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Dear God. <laughs> All right, man. Let me go get to the wolves. All right. I'll talk to you this week. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. All right, Matt. Thanks so much, brother. Talk to you soon. So there you have it. My conversation with Chris DiGirolamo. Uh, we so value the relationship that we have with him and the ways that he's been able to support the podcast with the connections he has with some of these amazing drummers. And uh, look forward to more of these guests and following Chris in his journey and his work as a publicist. And hopefully uh, we were able to shed some light on what he does and this aspect of the music industry. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with an amazing jazz drummer, Tina Raymond. Uh, if you recall, Tina was one of the first guests that Zach had on back, I believe in 2016 or maybe even 2015. But she's got a brand new record out, Divinations. I uh, hope I'm saying that right. But she's an amazing drummer on the West Coast. Uh, she also runs the jazz school at CSU Northridge. So she's just such a heavy player, and I'm excited to uh, hear what they have to talk about and catch up with Tina. So stay tuned for that. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Keep in touch, and hope to see you around. Bye-bye. <laughs>